I just actually asked my church Wednesday. I made them um, took. A, I even brought the youth into the service last ten minutes. Asked them, "What questions do you have? What do you want to know more about?" And uh, they gave me all those questions, all those things. And so, if you have questions or stuff, and like I said, if it's not related, we have time at the end. We'll deal with it. So. Uh, also, for participating, you do get uh, a discount if you're interested. Southern Evangelical Seminary has a lay institute for apologetics. I mean, it's not like a it's not like college. It's designed for people who I really want to learn some more, and especially if you can't make it to places like Charlotte, uh, you can sign up for it, and we give you a 30% off code just for participating. So, if it's something you're interested in, jot that information down. Uh, it's regularly. Uh, $195, that's the total tuition for books and everything. And uh, it's just designed to answer your questions, teach you how to, how to give an answer, how to give a response. Uh, that's what I try to do with my church as well. I try to say, you know, have, has anyone ever said these things to you? You have heard that it has been said. Uh, did anyone see that video that came along on, uh, I know it was passed around on Facebook a lot, the, I'm a Christian, but I'm not. Judgmental. I'm a Christian, but I'm not homophobic. I'm a Christian, but I'm not. You guys seen that one? That's what apologetics tries to do: is answer stuff like that. Uh, we try to give a, try to give a reason because people see that and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, but what was that video doing except being judgmental towards Christianity? It was doing the very thing that it said it wasn't doing." And so we try to teach people how to think like that, how to see that. That's actually what I'm doing tomorrow as well. I'm doing a, I'm doing a thing on how to do apologetics, tactics of apologetics without knowing a thing. Because I know you're like, well, I don't know a whole lot. You know, I've never studied all this stuff. You don't have to know a whole lot to recognize. Kind of like, I don't know a whole lot about boats, but some boats, when I look at them, I realize they're not going to float on the water. Now, I'm not a, I, again, I don't know how to sail a boat. But there's sometimes I can look at a boat and realize it's not going to work. That's what I'm going to look at tomorrow in, uh, in my session. Uh, again, my name is Thomas McCuddy. My, I have my own blog that I started, faithdefense.com. I try to post all kinds of conferences, resources, anything I can find on the internet on that spot. So if you're interested, uh, you can shoot over there. We do a conference out in Bladen County now every year. I try to put all those resources there. Uh, and I also get a lot of questions through that. People just start engaging me, asking me, you know, what about this? What about this? What about this? Uh, so that's a good way to reach me, uh, see some of the things that are there. So this evening we're going to look at Matthew 7.1 because this was the number one verse that's been popping up over Facebook. I hear this all the time. Even, and I even preached this as this began as a sermon at my church. I preached it, and yet I still have church members who are posting those little pictures with things like, you can't, uh, you can't say anything against me unless you've uh, walked a mile in my shoes. You know, you can't judge a person unless they've walked a mile in, in, in my shoes. Or you've walked a mile in their shoes. To which I've always say, you would have to have walked a thousand miles in my shoes to know that I don't know what your life is like. Don't you do that again? Maybe slower. I always do this with the adults because they, they love old, old people music. Like Tom Petty. You've heard of Tom Petty? Okay. He had this song. He says uh, in the chorus, You don't know what it's like to be me. Which, man, that's what we see all over Facebook, right? That's what people are saying. You don't understand what it's like to be me. To which I always say, 
you would have to know what it's like to be me to know that I don't know what it's like to be you. You see what I did there? They're doing the very same thing that they're saying I can't do. They're presuming, they're presuming to know my mind. This is where we get this idea with the don't judge me. That's part of it. People say, you know, who are you to judge? You can't judge. Uh, you might have heard some of these phrases before, such as, I'm a Christian, but I'm not judgmental. Or some people say, you shouldn't judge other people. And, or people just simply proclaim, don't judge me. I, I used to work a long time ago when they had these stores that stood all by themselves. And they had videos in the store. It's a place called Hollywood Video. And I got to watch movies for free. That was one of my main reasons for working there. Any movie in the store, fair game. I even got to see movies a week before they even hit the shelf. So I've seen a lot of movies. And I've seen so much of this, people saying, don't judge me, or they're doing something, they'll say, don't judge me for this. And everybody's like, okay, no, we're not judging, we're not judging. Or they come up and they say, you know, no judgments. That is like the unforgivable sin in our culture right now. That if you say something against someone else, what are they going to say? They're going to say, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? You can't say that. You don't know. Uh, some people even say, if you judge other people, then God will judge you. And that comes from Matthew 7.1, because he says, you know, don't judge, because with whatever, you, whatever uh, measure you use, it will be used against you. And so people say, well, if you judge me, God's going to judge you. To which I've always said, you mean if I judge you, God's going to use that same standard on me? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, awesome. My standard is so much lower than God's. That's great. And they kind of look at me, they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, that can't be what Jesus meant. Jesus can't be saying that when I judge somebody, that God's going to use that same standard on me because His standard's way higher than mine. So, we're going we're to understand what that means. People say you shouldn't judge people. Stop telling other people that what they're doing is wrong. That's another big thing that's just flying all over Facebook. And they say, you know, who are you to judge? And I deal with this because, like I said, all the years I spent in youth ministry, I'm not, I'm not foolish. I recognize, you know, as, uh, as I had my, my youth groups, uh, there was all kinds of issues that came up and a lot of things we dealt with. And some of my uh, strongest uh, leaders in my youth group had one girl at my, my last church. Uh, she came out of the closet as a lesbian. In her senior year. And I had trained this girl, taught her how to study the Bible, had her as a leader. If I, didn't, if I wasn't at church for some reason, it was this girl who would, who would rise up, take the, uh, take the Sunday school lesson, and would do it. And so when she was dealing with this, she, she told me her, her words. She's like, don't judge me for this. And I said, you know what you're saying there. What you're saying is, let me have my sin and don't say anything about it. Now, is that really what I should do? And she has little sisters. And I said, when your little sister does something wrong, do you think to yourself, you know what? I really shouldn't say anything about that whatsoever. I shouldn't judge her. What she's doing is wrong. And he's, no, you're all over her because you know what she's doing is wrong. And she's like, but the Bible says don't judge. And that's where a lot of this came out is I said, you don't get a free pass. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because I would also maintain that if Jesus is saying, don't judge, that in itself is a judgment. Let me go slowly with this one. When people look at you and say, I don't have anyone, I'm not, trying not to pick on you too much, so I'll kind of wander out a little bit. When somebody looks at somebody and says, 
Don't judge me. What they're doing is they're saying, what you're doing is wrong and you shouldn't do it. In other words, what they're saying is, as they're telling you, you shouldn't tell other people what they do is wrong. They're looking at you saying, what you're doing is wrong and you shouldn't do it. And what you're doing wrong is you're telling me that what I'm doing is wrong. And you shouldn't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. And so what's happening, it it, it almost sounds like a word game, but it's not. I'm going to tell you that you shouldn't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. That's what you're doing wrong, is you're telling me what I'm doing wrong. And we go back and forth with those all day long, and we realize the whole idea just kind of implodes on itself. You can't get anywhere with that. And this is why as uh, we come to this verse, it is the most misused, abused, mangled passage of Scripture that I know of. Because I can't go a day on Facebook, and I am a Facebook creeper. I'm watching things all the time, what's going on. Because all my members are on Facebook, i got little 80-year-old ladies who are on Facebook, and they're posting all kinds of weird stuff, and I'm watching all this, and they're posting usually one of those inspirational pictures. It's flowers with a little running brook, and it says... Don't judge, don't judge people, or uh, they have a book. Don't judge a book by its cover. Those kinds of things. And it sounds good, it sounds very nice, but it's ridiculous. That can't be what Jesus meant when he said those things. So in Matthew 7 1, I lay out for you a couple translations, because this is not a translation issue. From the King James, judge not that ye be not judged. ESV, Judge not, that you be not judged. Pretty much the same thing. NASB, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And NIV, do not judge or you too will be judged. So as we look at this, we realize different translations don't clear this up. This is not a translational issue. I know sometimes when you look between versions of the Bible, you might be able to clear things up. Not with this one. So we need to get to the heart of what is what Jesus was talking about and I always tell people, first thing you do when, you, when you're doing anything is you've got to understand the terms. When you're talking, you have to understand what's being meant. Uh, and I, just as a, as a little back lesson, like English words, words in any language, usually have more than one meaning, more than one usage. A clear example is the English word trunk. Okay? What's a trunk? This is interactive portion. Somebody tell me, what's a, what's a trunk? Car. Thing in the back of a car. Elephant. Elephant has one. Just a general storage container. What else? Underwear. Underwear. Swimwear. What else? There's more. Suitcase. Like a suitcase could be a trunk, so it's more portable. Different type of trunk. What else? It's even more. Tree trunk. Very good. Still one more. Well, very, uh, a, a less common usage is uh, it can refer, just like a tree refers to the main body, it can refer to the main body of a person. They should actually refer to this as the trunk of a person, just like you would a tree trunk. So we have all these wildly different usages. So if I told you don't mess with the trunk. Now, depending upon which trunk I'm talking about, will give us wildly different scenarios. Now, if you've got 
a case back out here in the front of the room, and it's Dustin, right? Yes, sir. Dustin says, don't mess with the trunk. We all realize something good's in there, and he doesn't want us to have it. Okay? So we understand what's going on there. So if, uh, if we're outside and somebody says, don't mess with the trunk, probably referencing the tree. As in, leave the trees alone. Quit hanging from the trees. Okay? And if we're around with a swimming pool, somebody says, don't mess with the trunk, we understand what's going on there. And we realize, well, that's just generally bad and ought not to happen. When Jesus is saying, do not judge, we understand what he's saying, but what did he mean? Because I would also tell you, out of all those, we could have some, you know, maybe something personal, uh, also around the swimming pool, very personal effects there, uh, outside, damaging. But if we're at a zoo and I say, don't mess with the trunk, that could be life-threatening because an elephant doesn't like it when you mess with his nose. Amen? Okay. okay, in case you never didn't, in case you didn't know that, okay, that's, that's a quick way to meet God. Don't mess with the, don't mess with elephant's nose. So, we got to understand what Jesus meant when he said that. So the word, the Greek word, no, it doesn't mean a whole lot, and I've used this before, krino is the word that's used there. There's only one real one word that that's used in these in these uh, passages that, that we translate generally as to judge. But what I give you here are the five major ways this word is used in all of Scripture. That this word actually is used, just like we kind of named off all the different ways trunk is used, this one word can be used, and these are in order of most common to least common usages. So most common is simply to make a selection. Just such as, such as okay, where are we going to eat? Judge where are we going to eat? McDonald's, Burger King. Make a selection. That's all that's, that's the way the word is used. Second, to pass judgment upon and thereby seek to influence the lives and actions of other people. Okay? This would be where you are judging their actions, judging someone, and seeking to change what's going on. Uh, you can also use it to mean to make a judgment based on taking in various factors into account. Such as when you judge a, a case or whether something is right or wrong to do, you're making a judgment. You're trying to decide, let me, let me gather in the data. What's the best thing for us to, to do here? To come to conclusion after thinking a lot or just to simply engage in a judicial process. So this one word, just like the word trunk, we can list out all those different ways it's used. This word is used five different ways. Okay? So people say, well, Jesus said don't judge. It's pretty simple right there. It said don't judge. Just like I would say, well, it's pretty simple. Don't mess with the trunk. It's not so simple. We need a context. We need to know what uh, the situation was that Jesus said that. We also need to understand what he was uh, trying to communicate since this was also occurs kind of right in the middle of a sermon. So it doesn't stand by itself. So the first definition that we had to make a selection, we see this used in Scripture as an example, Romans 14, uh, first part of verse 5, Therefore one prefers one day to another. This is where Paul is talking about uh, how some people want to worship on certain feast days, some people don't want to worship on certain feast days. He's like, one prefers one day to another. In other words, one person judges to have this holiday and another person judges not to have this holiday. We're coming up on Halloween. And so I know the questions start pouring in. Should Christians celebrate Halloween? And I 
kick it back to Romans 14.5. You know, one prefers to go out and do these things. Others don't. I like, leave the two alone. Judge for yourself what you should do. Okay? If you don't like it, if you don't want to be a part of that, if you think knocking on strange people's doors and taking food from them and going home and consuming it is a good idea, well, you go for it. If not, maybe some are a little bit more judicious. Some people, like uh, my wife is very much into the organic food. Her thing is she doesn't, she, you know, our kid can't eat the food anyway because it's got all the bad ingredients. So well, that's kind of a whole different reason we take a different way. Or, you know, even if he does, that candy, it's magic candy. It disappears. So... Um, so we, so we tell him he's five. We can get away with it a couple more years. So uh, this was again in reference to the celebration feast. This is vastly different from the way Jesus Jesus uses it in Matthew. So this is one of those things we can kind of scratch off our list. This is not what he meant, uh, but we see this is this is one of those possibilities. And incidentally, what I'm doing, if you've ever heard of doing a word study. You ever heard the adults talk about, oh, you know, you, you know, you do a word study, understand scripture? That's what this came out of. It's just one gigantic word study. What is the theology of human judgment? So another, the other, the second definition, to pass judgment upon the lives and actions of other people. This is the second most frequent meaning. This is what's used in Matthew 7. But we're going to qualify this. We're going to understand exactly what Jesus was meaning because there's much more in Scripture than just Matthew 7.1 that deals with the concept of judgment. And so we're going to try to gather this evidence because our goal is we, we want to be able to share with people what they, what they should and should not do when it comes to the judgments. Because again, if it's the case... If it's the case, we are not to judge whatsoever. That means when anyone engages in any sin in your church, in your schools, whenever they do anything wrong, no one should say anything at all to them. Now what kind of society do you think we would have if we went that route? Okay. I'm for one am very, very thankful, uh, especially and when I'm in Walmart, uh, whenever I freak Walmart and there is a child that has lost its mind and is freaking out, the mother judges that child as it ought not to be doing those things. You know, when the kid goes, I've actually seen kids go and start rip opening like chip bags and throwing stuff and freaking out when I pull out my phone. I'm not helping. I'm just like, this is cool. I realize the mother does not believe so. The mother comes in and says, no, you will not do that. Just, just this morning, my son... Um, whenever he disappears in the bathroom for too long, we know it means one of two things. It means either our toilet now will no longer flush because he's putting things in it he ought not to, or the sink's not going to drain. So I go in there, look at the toilet, toilet's good, look at the sink, standing water. And I'm like, what'd you do, son? And there's, a, uh, there's some wet uh, cardboard off to the side from a previous, previous toilet, uh, toilet paper roll. I said, did you... Did you Clog the sink with the cardboard. He's kind of looking. He's like, maybe. <laughs> and so as I, as I go through this, what I do is I, is I say, you know you're not supposed to do this. And I don't say, well, you know what, son? I just love you and I'm not going to judge you. You know, if you want to clog the sinks, you go right ahead. You want to clog the toilet. He put, a, he put a hand towel in the toilet one time. 
The, the judgment comes upon those things because they ought not to be that way. This is the way we are in society, that we recognize certain things are going on and they shouldn't happen. We have to judge those things. And so now we compare, the second key is compare with those other passages. What does Scripture tell us about this idea of judging? John 7.24 He says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Same words he used there each time. This is Jesus in context. He's talking to angry people, and they were angry because He had healed on the Sabbath. And they were mad at Him. And this is where Jesus is literally saying, in one sense, do not judge. But then in another sense, He is saying judge. That Jesus, right in this passage, said, now there's a good kind of judgment, and there's a bad kind of judgment. I often compare this to the way that we can say things. There's a good way to say things, and there's a bad way to say things. And maybe, you have, uh, maybe you've encountered this, you know, just like when somebody tells you very nicely, you know, hey, you're in my seat, can I have my seat back please? That's real nice, that's pleasant, makes me want to give my seat to the person. Versus somebody comes up, looks at you and says, you need to move. Now really, you know, that's, that's a bad attitude. You know, you do that and you realize, hey, he's in my seat, if this was my seat, realize, you know what, I was there first, all those things. We realize there's two different ways we can approach it. That's somewhat what Jesus is doing with this. He's saying, look, do not judge by appearances. That's, that's the wrong way. Use a right judgment. But what is that right judgment? Let's kick over to Romans. Look at what Paul's saying. Romans 2, 1-3. through 3. He says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, what I like about this passage in Romans and where it extends out is that it's almost an identical situation to what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, he says, don't judge or you'll be judged. And he gives an example. He says, if you have a plank in your eye and you see that your brother has a speck in his eye, you've got to first take the plank out of your eye in order to see clearly you take the speck out of your brother's eye. And this is where Paul, he's, he's explaining this with the Jews. The Jews who had the law, he's saying, look, you are passing judgment on people for doing the very same things you do. Have any of you followed in the news the Josh Duggar saga? You all know where he worked before he, before he quit, right? You know who he worked for? Christian organization, yeah. It was the Family Research Council. Okay, It's a council that's designed to help Christian families. And the man was busted... And he confessed to actually having affairs. His name was on the, um, the website that helps people find someone to have an affair with. And so, that's why with Josh Duggar, that's what made his situation worse. It was bad already. Okay, it's bad when you cheat. Okay, let me make that clear. 
And nothing makes that better. It's bad when you cheat. It's worse when you are publicly dealing with people, telling them not to cheat, yet you yourself are seeking an affair. Now this is what Jesus, that's partly what Jesus is getting to with the Sermon on the Mount. It's what Paul's getting at here. He's like, you're condemning people. In the case with the Jews and the Gentiles, the Gentiles didn't have the law. The law wasn't given to them. He's like, they don't even know the law. That law is not for them and you're condemning them. You have the law and you don't do it. Who's worse here? It's much like, um, and I believe this is a big part, big problem we have in the church today. This is one of the biggest issues, is the church is trying to take Scripture and make the world live according to a Scripture that it's never accepted. And I've, always, I've, say, I've said it before, I'll say it again. The world needs John 3.16 before it needs any other Scripture. Because until the world deals with that, you're not going to fix the core of the problem. So in this context, as I say, Paul's explaining the hypocrisy of the Jews. They had the law and didn't live by it, and yet they condemned the Gentiles who, who they didn't live by the law because they never received it. They didn't know it. It wasn't written for them. They had no idea. And so Paul's trying to get at the same thing Jesus did. He's like, look, your judgments are invalid because you yourself do them. Now, it doesn't mean what the Gentiles were doing. It didn't mean what they were doing was right. But it just makes them in a position where they can't... They weren't in that place to tell them they shouldn't do these things because they were doing the same things. Okay? Much like... See, and I don't get to talk this way as a, as a pastor so much. I have, to, I have to censor my examples. I get to have fun when I'm with teenagers. Alright, so Dustin back here. Now, y'all all know Dustin, right? I have no idea what the relationship is. I mean, are these new kids to you? No? Some of them? Okay. Alright, so some of you, you know, since you don't know Dustin, don't know me, alright, let's say that you yourself as a teenager, let's say you have a problem with porn. Dustin comes up to you and says, hey, you really shouldn't look at that stuff. It's really not good. You're like, alright, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. And um, one day you're at Dustin's house, and what's he got on TV? Porn. And you're like, now wait a minute, Dustin. You said I shouldn't look at porn. And you're watching porn. What gives? You know, and then Dustin's like, well, it didn't change anything. You still shouldn't watch it. <laughs> you realize most of us would look at Dustin and be like, your, your judgments are invalid. Your, your criticism, I don't want to hear it. You know, so we recognize this. In our society. And this, this, I think, is what when the world kicks back against Christians and says, you know what, you can't judge because you are guilty of this thing, they many times will have a valid point. The church sometimes doesn't have its act together. And I don't always claim that it does. If your church is like mine, it's got people in it, and one thing I know about people is they're all messed up. Because I'm a people too, and I'm messed up. So what I recognize is that churches have their issues, Okay. That's why we have to be careful, and that's why we have to live lives that are blameless. doesn't mean that we're perfect, but they're lives where no one can just hold something over our heads because they say, how can you tell us not to do these things when you yourself have season passes to it? Romans 14.10, at the end of the book, he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? So now he's dealing with the church. Whenever Scripture uses the term brother, it's talking about believers. 
Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And Paul is trying to let them know, look, the way you're judging each other, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat. You're, you're Again, you're trying to do a little bit of hypocrisy, the hypocritical judging. Uh, and this is where it's really clear. We are all going to be judged by God. That's why when sometimes people say, you know, well, don't judge or God's going to judge you. We're all going to be judged. Now, as believers, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are judged for rewards. You are not judged whether or not you have to go to heaven or hell because Jesus already paid that. But we all do have to give an account. There's multiple scriptures that talk about this. So he's saying, look, there, there needs to be a little bit of, of careful consideration that as you go and you're judging, just like if I go up to somebody, that's somebody new, I go up to somebody and I'm like, hi, you're really not a nice person. I know. Okay. You know, these kinds of judgments, number one, that's not helpful. I've heard this in churches, though. I've heard this from believers. Things like this. That's not helpful. That's not good. Now, maybe she has issues. Okay? I don't know that. Maybe there's some unresolved issues. Okay? Maybe, maybe there's some things there. But to go up and offer that kind of judgment, where's that going to get us? When I was in college, I went to college at Middle Tennessee State University. That's south of Nashville. Okay, in Tennessee. I'm from Tennessee originally. I do not follow the volunteers, so don't ask about it. I hate orange. So, with when I was in when I was in college, we had a large college group, a part of our church, had probably 15, 20 college kids, all all in this group. Our college minister had an affair with one of the girls in our college group. His little girl was only a month old, his first child. So, this happens. Now, I had seen this coming. I'd actually talked to both of them about a year beforehand. It did not go so well because I saw where things were going. Little lines that get crossed. And that's why when it comes to these things and people say, you know, who are you to judge? You know, and again, my college minister, well, who are you to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong? You know, I'm just, she's like my sister. And that was always kind of his justification, you know. That was why... He just loves her so much and, and has all these conversations with her. And it was just over about a two-year period we watched this and I, was, and I knew this was coming. And there was nothing I could do to stop it. So finally, uh, when he commits the sin, he gets kicked out. He's at a friend's house. Okay, Some friends put him up. Uh, I go over to the house. I, and I remember he was sitting on, a, on an ugly couch. It was like this floral pattern. And there was a big coffee table. A little bit lighter than I am now. So I sat on the coffee table right across from him. And I said, alright, I said, where are we with this? <laughs> and he says, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life, I've ruined my life, all these things. And what I saw was that I saw genuine brokenness, I saw the repentance. Now could I have, you know, again, this is the, a year ago, he lashed out at me. Could I have brought up all this? I mean, I could have done the, the I told you so in so many different ways. I could have brought that man to tears. But as we sat and I listened to him, I heard his brokenness, I heard his repentance. And what I recognize is everything we do in the church should be about restoration. It should be about um, that um, the redemption that we have. That's what we should be offering other people. So there was no sense in me beating him up for his sin. He was going to do enough of that on his own over the next coming weeks and months. 
But what I did is I said, I was the same thing, all right, this is wrong. What do we do to fix it? And I walked with him and his wife um, for several, several weeks past that. They're still married to this day. They have their second child and they minister to broken and hurting couples. Redemption. That's what redemption looks like. And I remember, I remember his, her, his wife asked me specifically, do I not have the right to divorce them? I said, you do have that right. That doesn't mean you should. And she had never considered that. She wanted to bring the judgment down on him to punish him. And I said, that's not our place. Now, you kicked him out of the house. You know, you've done all these things. He is going to have to earn and prove. And it was the right, I believe, in that situation, when Paul and Jesus are talking about the right kind of judgment, that's what we're looking at. And I say I share all this because um, his little girl was playing Jesus in the uh, the Christmas play, and he wanted to see his little girl play Jesus. We have to eight thirty, right? Okay, good. He wanted to see his little girl play Jesus, but this is a at this church we had about six hundred people that would show up on a Sunday morning, and most of the people at that church basically told him that if he stepped foot on campus, he'd have to be carried off. Okay, it's a good Christian church. Okay. So me and another friend, different friend, met him in the parking lot. We got on both sides of him. We walked him in, sat with him as his bodyguards up at the balcony so he could watch his little girl. And we did this because I recognized the man is going to pay for his sins. The man is going to pay. He's going to pay dearly for years to come. We all know what he did is wrong. We're not pretending he didn't. But where's the restoration? You know, there, there's no need for me to go in. You know, he's not in the midst of the affair. Like if he was still having the affair, oh yeah, that's bringing down the hammer. What is your problem? That's where we got to smack sense into him. But there was none of that. Would I? Would we have been justified by just constantly beating him up? There was nothing to redeem by doing that. And so that's why I say, you know, we're all going to be judged. It's not that I just, oh, you know, well you're sorry for it. Let's just sweep that under the rug. But I recognize the judgment that's to come for him. That's the answering he's going to have to do before God. But what I also said, what I also know, if I in all my sin can repent and be redeemed by Jesus Christ, then someone else in their sin, when they repent, can be redeemed by Jesus Christ. And this is why, this is part of the reason why I say, if they don't know they're sinning or don't accept the fact that they're sinning, how can they repent? And that's where I believe this idea of judgment comes into play. When Paul says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother, he's actually doing a word play because the second line is what you is a more literal translation. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather judge never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So there are these judgments that I believe is the church, does the church have a problem with judgmentalism? Yes, it does. I fully believe that. I'm a pastor. I see an ugly side of the church many of you may never see. Because like I said, my church is full of people and people are messed up. Amen? Yes. Amen? You all know this, right? Even when they're 80 years old and look like you know the nicest little grandmother ever, sometimes when you get to know them, you realize they have a sin nature too. It's a dark thing that we all carry. 
But what I recognize also, I realize the church has this problem, but there's also this, this, this essence where we are, as Jesus said, we have to have the right kind of judgment. And so when he says, judge never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother, that's why I say, is what you're doing, is what you're saying, is it going to be effective? Is it going to be helpful? I'll share this with you. I mentioned how um, last Wednesday night, I told my church, I said, write down your questions, give them all to me. Which I open myself up for, will to hurt when I do this. Because I never know what I'm going to get. I got everything, I got one person who says, can you explain the entire book of Psalms? That was one card. I'm like, yeah, if we take a chapter a night, it'll only take us about two and a half years, three years, to get through all that. Oh yeah, that's no small thing. I got another one that said, who is Ehud? You know who Ehud is? Great story. Manly stories of the Bible. Left-handed man made, a, made a, a sword, put it on the opposite side of his body. They, when the guards checked him, didn't find the sword. Goes up to the fat king, stabs him in the stomach so much the fat closes over his hand, loses his sword. He disembowels the guy so the guards outside think that the king is relieving himself at his toilet and Ehud is able to get out and saved Israel from the clutches of the evil... The evil uh, what was he a part of? Midian? One of those societies that was oppressing them. So, that's who Ehud was. Great story. Okay? It's the kind of story, you know, it's, just, it's good. People say the Bible's boring. I have some good stuff in there. But what I also got is I got a card from a little lady who said, I knew it was a little old lady, only, only handwriting I know is providential. On one person's handwriting I knew, and it was her handwriting, it said... Stop using so much PowerPoint on Sunday morning and Sunday nights and use the Bible more. <laughs> That's not what I asked for. <laughs> I asked for questions and then how I can, what I can address. And she gave me a nice little judgment um, to which I would, I would respond. And I'm, I'm not supposed to know who it is, so I can't actually... I'm going to have to work this in because I'm slick. I'll, I'll mention it at some point. We have a gentleman in our church who can't hear. He is practically deaf. PowerPoints are the only reason he's able to follow the sermon. That's why I have so many PowerPoints. Now the whole question about use the Bible more, I'm like, I'm, I'm about as expository as I get. I took, I took January to August just to go through 1 John. I said, I go verse by verse. What do you mean? Well, I use a tablet. This is what I preach from. She thinks I don't have a Bible. <laughs> so a judgment has been given against me, and it's where I look at this, and I'm like, all this stuff, all these things people want to know, this was her one thing. That was the one thing she told me was just this, this criticism. So I understand the church has this. With me being a pastor, I lost my feelings a long time ago, so stuff like that doesn't bother me. However, if one of you was approached by a member of the church, by a leader, by an elder, that's all they ever did was tell you what you were doing wrong. That's what we mean by stumbling block. That's the kinds of things that shouldn't be. And maybe even you. Maybe do you have somebody that you know of that you're always down on them, that you're always letting them know where they're messing up? It's a stumbling block. can hurt a brother. So the summary of what we get from Romans. Paul deals with things like the hypocritical judgments. He deals with inappropriate ultimate judgments. And he also mentions the appropriate types of judgments that we shouldn't, uh, you know, we should, there should be a judgment, but don't put the stumbling blocks in front of people. So we should never judge hypocritically, this is always wrong, or ultimately, 
But there is a sense that Paul specifically hits that we're called to judge ourselves in terms of our actions. But this is what Jesus is saying. He says, take the plank out of your eye. Paul's saying the same thing. Deal with your issues first. So even from the book of Romans, we see that this... And it's, again, it's all dealing with the same word. I always have people ask me, aren't there multiple words used for judgment? Not in this case. There's this one word. Whenever you see this word judge, in this, it's always been that same Greek word. Before we leave, I'm going to have a piece of paper. I'm going to allow you to put your email down if you want, and I can actually email you my PowerPoint notes. I'll let you all know that. I make that available. I freely do that at any conference. So if you want those, I'll give you a chance to put your name down later. 1 Corinthians 4, 4, 5, 4 through 5. We're going to look at Paul again. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. Meaning I'm not innocent, but I don't know anything wrong. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul lets the church know. He's like, I work on being good. I don't know of anything I've got. And I always tell my church that. I said, I've got holes in my theology. I just don't know where they are. You know, I've got some problems in my life. And some of them I'm not aware of. I don't realize it. You know, and I think sometimes people think, oh, you're a pastor. You're supposed to like walk around and like, you know, hold Jesus by the hand. You know, those kinds of things. You know, like the whole footprints in the sand. You know, when you get burdened, Jesus just carries you. And I said, no, I'm, I'm like the meme you see on the internet. Like when, when things get bad for me, sometimes I'm the long marks in the sand where Jesus is dragging me. Like, you've got to come on, brother. So I realized as a pastor, um, I don't, there, there's things I have that are issues. But what Paul is saying is like, look, there, there's this instant. It is the Lord who ultimately judges. And I know that when Paul is saying this, we have to put this in context. I didn't put the verse on here, but there's this little episode that happens between Paul and Peter in the book of Galatians. What happens is uh, Paul uh, is hanging out with the Galatians. Peter's hanging out with them. And I imagine in Galatia, they have good barbecue. Okay, Now, Jews are not supposed to eat pork. Right? Jews are not even supposed to eat with the Gentiles. Now, I don't know if Peter was eating pork, but there he's eating with the Gentiles. So James and the representatives from First Baptist Jerusalem come up, and as they're approaching, Peter separates himself. You, you imagine this. Like, like if you're sitting at maybe lunchroom table, if you're at church, fellowship hall table, you're all sitting together, and somebody jumps up and just kind of moves off and sits down at another table away from everybody else. And Paul, and Paul sees this. And Paul says, he says, he tells Peter to his face, he's like, your hypocrisy has led even Barnabas astray. So what Paul does, it says, he got in his face and let him know, this is wrong. So in one sense, God is the ultimate judge, but in another sense, we are called to call out people's sins especially when they don't see them. But again, catch the image. If, if Peter had moved off and was hanging out at this table, and Paul was hanging out there with them, and Paul just kind of looks over and like, Peter, you know you're not supposed to separate yourself. Peter's like, what are you doing here? Well, it's different. You're not supposed to. You know that. 
You realize that's not what Paul did. Paul was hanging out there with the Gentiles when the delegation came. Paul's looking, he's watching. The Jews are getting confused. They're like, wait a minute, we're hanging out with the Gentiles, now we're not hanging out with the Gentiles. And Paul goes up and gets in his face and he says, this was about the most hypocritical thing you could have done. He let him know. Now again, what, what could have Peter have done? Peter could have said, don't judge me. That's what our world says. But as we know, as we believe, Peter received it. So this... This other use of the word judge to make a judgment based on taking various factors into account. Understand in 1 Corinthians 10.15 he says, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. In other words, take all this into account. You decide what is correct. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? 1 Corinthians 11.13 Now, regardless of what this means, Paul is saying, you judge whether it's right or wrong. And so, he's letting the people know, take your stand, you decide, you judge, and then live by it. And so, uh, also in Luke, this is Jesus' words, he tells the group, you have judged, or he tells, uh, this is where he's talking to uh, the lawyer, and he's given the Sermon on the Mount, or not Sermon on the Mount, the... um, Parable of the Good Samaritan. Which one was a neighbor? Well, the guy who helped him. You have judged correctly. You understood it correctly. So what's happening here is there's again a judgment that is correct. There's a judgment that's good. And judgments we have to make. We have to decide what's right and wrong. That's a part of that judgment. Because again, if you don't decide what's right and wrong, everything goes willy-nilly. And when I had my first child... I realize that if I don't constantly teach this child what is right, he will constantly do what is wrong. This is why I know people who say, I used to, I believe this a long time ago, people who believe the garbage that we're all born innocent, is just that's a lie. I didn't teach my kid how to be bad. My kid is an expert at finding new ways to break stuff, pull junk, do all kinds of crazy things. No one teaches him how to do it. I'm going to tell you, he does the same things in the same way wrong that I used to. No one taught him. That's why I believe this stuff's genetic. Because I did it that way. No one teaches us how to do these bad things. We have to keep telling. He asks, why is this wrong? Why is this bad? Why is it bad that I pushed my... He has a little brother who's 11 months old. Why is it bad that I pushed him down and I stood on him? Why is that bad, Daddy? It's like, well, you're, you're going to hurt him. Okay, you can't do that. You know, why is it bad that I took marker and drew, drew all over my little brother's face? Okay, this, this is bad. You can't do this. Okay. Um, he, we have a, if you've ever seen a pack and play, it's, we call it baby jail. It's just like a kind of mesh area. Kid, put the kid in there, put some toys in there. They're great. They, they can't go anywhere. It keeps them out of trouble. Well, my son, he cut part of the mesh, got a little opening, and I'm like, what are you doing? Jailbreak. We're playing jailbreak. You just ruined the pack and play. Oh. (laughs) You can't do that. Why not, Daddy? i got to explain these things. I have to teach him. I have to constantly judge my son. And what my wife does, this is one of my areas. I know it's my area. I'm working on it. This is my demon. When I'm driving down the road... Because everybody else in the world is a terrible driver, and I'm really great at driving. As I'm driving down the road, I sometimes get angry and yell. And even though my windows are up, I feel perfectly comfortable having conversations, letting people know just how bad their driving is. 
And my wife, who's right next to me, says, Child in the back. He didn't do anything wrong. I'm not yelling at him. This is not the point. He's listening. He's watching. And when he yells at his brother, how are you going to say you shouldn't yell and do those things? Okay, fine. I have to take that plank out of my eye if I'm going to teach my son and get that speck out of his. So our big summary. In one sense, we are not to judge, as we see in Matthew 7, John 7, Romans 2, and part of 14, 13, 1 Corinthians. But in another sense, we are called to judge. Matthew 7, 5, when he says, take the plank out, you can take the speck out. John, when he says, judge rightly. In 1 Corinthians and Luke. So... And I'd also point out, in the, there's this third situation throughout the epistles, we are called to rebuke and discipline. And you can't do that without judging. Judging someone's actions as right or wrong. There's a difference between judging the actions and judging the person. The Pharisees, and the reason I bring this up, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is basically given anti-Pharisee. Everything in that Sermon on the Mount is against the Pharisees. When he starts out with the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek. Pharisees aren't meek, they're prideful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's not the Pharisees. You look at that list of the Beatitudes, those are not the Pharisees. And then what does he do? He says, if you want to enter the kingdom, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. And the whole thing he does, he says, you have heard that it has been said... You've heard that it has been said, you know, in the case, you shouldn't murder. I say, don't even be angry. You've heard that it has been said, don't commit adultery. I would say, you know, and Jesus says, don't even lust. You've heard that it has been said. And Jesus does this, and all those false interpretations are all against the Pharisees. So this section, it's right there, right after that. He tells them, you know, you, you see the Pharisees. They stand in the corner and they pray out. Everybody gets to hear their prayers, and they do these wonderful prayers. Or they go and they do the offering, and they, they have somebody, you know, get everybody's attention. And they're like, look at my offering. Here it goes. And I've often compared that. I said, imagine that in your church and you pass the plate. If you're at a church that passes the plate, and somebody, you know, they've got their plate, they, they stand up, hold it up, take their offering, boom, nailed it. Pass it on. If you see that, Jesus is saying, look, don't do all those things. So when he gets to Matthew 7 and he says, don't judge, he's referencing that pharisaical, hypocritical, they do it, but they're telling everybody else not to do it type of judgment. And when he says, for whatever judgment you give, it will be used against you, he's talking about other people. He says the people recognize that if, that if I tell you you shouldn't do something, the people are saying, well, you shouldn't be doing it. That's what he says. Whatever standard you use against other people, they're going to use that same standard on you. Because God's already going to judge, and He's going to judge according to His holy, perfect standard. He's not referencing that one. So as we examine the context, Jesus is not saying that God won't judge us if we don't judge. Jesus, Paul, Peter, and James all say that God will judge everyone, so we can get that out of the way. Since not judging people does not stop divine judgment, Jesus can't mean that God won't judge us if we don't judge other people. Jesus is not saying that we should never speak against someone's actions. Matthew 5-7 tells us how we should. Peter, Paul, and James tell us how to judge as well. And if that's what Jesus meant, then Jesus even refutes Himself. That you don't get to 
uh, he's not saying you shouldn't point out what people are doing wrong because he even says uh, later on the Sermon Mount, he says you will know a tree by its fruit. In other words, when you look at what someone does, you can judge where their heart is. Other things Jesus is not saying. It's not a free pass to sin without a rebuke. This passage is not a way to get out of trouble. You can't just look at somebody and say, you can't judge me. Because what, even if they're, what they're doing is wrong, what you're doing is still wrong. The passage does not teach that all forms of judging are unloving. And that's the thing that I hear all the time. Well, Christians are so judgmental. They don't, they don't love anyone. If you love me, you wouldn't judge me. And that's just ridiculous. I love my child, and that's why I judge his actions and discipline him. And I'm telling you, my kid's five years old. Just today, with the whole clog in the sink episode, we had to bring some judgment down on him. And my son does the same thing every time we do. As soon as we're done, he comes up to me and he hugs me and he says, Daddy, I love you. And I look back at him and I say, I love you too. I tell him before, I tell him, it's not, I don't do the whole thing where I'm like, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. That's a lie. It hurts him more. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's bogus. But what I let him know, I love you and that's why I'm not going to let you keep doing this because I love you too much. And he understands it because he's the one, after we're done, he's the one who hugs me. Jesus is warning the people. He's telling them how not to be a hypocrite. That's always unacceptable. It's never good to be a hypocrite. And this is what the church gets called out for. The church rightly gets called out for it, but it doesn't mean the world gets a free pass. It look, the world cannot say, oh, you know, you have sin too. That's irrelevant. I said, that means I have to deal with my sin, but what the world is doing is still wrong. And so as we do this, as we go out and we call sin, sin, we have to make sure that we're not committing those same sins if we're going to have people take us seriously. And this is why as we look at, at, at Jesus' words in Matthew, as people just use this and mangle it, what I, what I encourage you to do, the, the way I always approach them, when they say, don't judge me, I always look at, look at them and I say, well, stop judging me. I'm like, I'm not judging you. You just, you just judged me. You just judged me for judging you. That's not a word game, but people start to realize, now wait a minute, if I can't tell you what you're doing is wrong, then it, no matter what happens, they lose. Because they realize that they can't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Because if they believe they could tell me what, the, what I'm doing is wrong, then I have that same right to tell them what they're doing is wrong. They lose no matter what. That's what, not what Jesus said. That's not what He intended. And I still stand. Whenever I see those memes come through Facebook, I always just very gently get on there and I say, that can't be what Jesus meant. I just offer a little something. And usually it starts conversation and people are like, what? What, do you, what? I've always heard this. I even heard this from one guy. I'll end with this. I believe that's my... Nope, that's my last one. Jesus wants, to live up, wants us to live up to our own standards. Because people will hold us accountable. Only God can judge the person. Believers are called and required to judge the actions of other people. And I say that we have to understand this is also more particular within the church because even the most moral atheist will go to hell. Because being good is not what saves you. And an atheist who is as good and as genuine and as a lovely person as they can be 
will still pay for their own sins on the day of judgment if they have not put their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as the church tries to get the world to shape up, it doesn't help them any. And I also tell Christians, and as those of you who are getting ready to turn 18, if you haven't turned 18, as you become fully functional adults, you don't change society through legislation. You change it by changing the people. You change it by changing the hearts of the people, and then you actually you don't need the legislation because the people, the hearts, will be in the right place. As I said, last, last little story. Guy mentioned the whole judging thing. He says, this is what I don't get about Christianity. They, they say one thing and then turn it around, do something else. The Bible's just full of, of contradictions. And I said, in dealing with this, with this passage on judging, I said, uh, this passage has always meant don't hypocritically judge. You just didn't understand it correctly. It's not that the Bible changed. Your understanding of Scripture has changed because now you're beginning to understand it better. Now you know how better to rightly live out these words. And that's what I encourage you to do. And this whole, this whole talk, this whole thing was done over just one passage. Matthew 7.1 To my encouragement, again, as the world tries to tell you what Scripture means, take a look for yourself. And as 1 Peter says, be ready to give an answer, a defense for the hope that is within you. Defend what you believe. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for this time that You've given us as we've studied Your Word, as we understand how to live these principles out. That, Father, we know there's so much more. There's such a, a larger portion of the Bible. Now, some things are difficult. Even Peter says that some of the writings of Paul were difficult for him to understand. So, Father, we just ask for... We just ask for the equipping of Your Holy Spirit that we would have the desire to learn, to seek these things out, that we would be ready to give an account, that we would be able to explain clearly, and that we'd be able to live consistently our faith because the world is watching. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Questions that you have? I know I didn't do that good of a job. Anything that's just burning in your mind anyway before I let you go or something that came up? On that side it says Jesus says to live up to our own standards mm-hmm. that's what the world is accountable. Right. But a lot of us, like our standards are up to God's standards. So how does that... I mean, a lot of people can say that's like standards, like, oh, it's okay to cheat on your life, but that's not okay. Right. So then, how can you tell them in such a way that it's not? Mm-hmm. God's standards are higher than ours. I agree. But there's also the element that if we're not even living up to our own standards, then the world will recognize that. So, if my standard is again. I shouldn't cheat on my wife because I mean you're you're talking about a different standard. You're saying it's okay for me to cheat on my wife. Like if I believe that, that goes completely contrary. Okay, what I'm referencing is like uh, in my case, uh, as Christians, we're trying to become like Christ to put on the image of Christ, who is perfect. Now, for me, 
I recognize that I'm not perfect yet. It's not that I find, uh, not that I'm happy where I'm at, complacent, but I realize that if I can just maybe, and I'll like, let me give you this example when I'm in traffic. Maybe I don't yell. Maybe I mumble. That's a victory. Okay? So my standard is still lower than God's. I'm, I'm moving that direction. Okay? But if I can't even live up to my own standards, like my standard is I shouldn't yell at people, like when I'm driving, which, you know, God would go further. You shouldn't even think bad things to begin with. Yes, I mean, just like the whole, yeah, you're not supposed to murder. Don't even get angry. Okay? On that, you know, let's use that one. If I say, you know, I shouldn't murder, but I tend to murder people every now and then, people are going to recognize my hypocrisy. Just like the same thing, you know, I, I'm, I shouldn't commit adultery. Jesus says, don't even lust. But I'm like, you know, I'm good with not committing adultery, but every now and then, people recognize, no, hypocrisy. They don't want to hear it from me. Okay. So, sometimes we work on moving our standards closer to God, but if I can't even live up to the standards I've set, then people aren't going to listen to me. They're going to recognize that. Because, I mean, again, I recognize none of us are perfect, but if I can't even live up to my, what I've laid down as my standard, people are going to see that. Good question. Anything else? Well, I encourage you guys. Take, have any of y'all, have you seen the full schedule for what's tomorrow? Have any of y'all looked at that? Take a look at it because there's some good stuff tomorrow. Uh, probably a lot of questions that you might have. I'm speaking tomorrow on Allah versus Yahweh. Do we worship the same God as the Muslims? And I'm going to demonstrate and explain that in terms of God, the prophets, and the books. Um, I know that the, the other guys, some guys are dealing with science, some are dealing with ethics and morality. Take a look at that and kind of plan out your day. Uh, it'll be it'll be worth your time coming back and, and doing that. But you get credit anyway, right? Some of you are getting credit for this anyway. Each session you go to, double worth it. Thank you guys. Had a good time. Yeah, uh, if you look in that folder that you guys have, uh, there is a schedule for the entire weekend. Um, we have special designated speakers for for. High school age students, but if you see something in, the, in another session, try, all right, I can't miss that one, then go to it. I'd rather you go to that and get more out of that than be forced to be in another one. So you're free to roam. If you see something that interests you, um, if, like I said, it's going to start at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Uh, lunch will be provided, so if you're here in that window from lunchtime, 11, 12 area, then we'll have a lunch provided. Um, and then we'll have uh, a few more sessions after that, followed by Q&A, I think, at 3 o'clock. Um, so it's a full day tomorrow. You guys are welcome to stop in. It'll be like college. You can just go if you want or if you don't want to. Then.